0: We don't have to be lost in space. I can fly the Jupiter 2 and get us back home to Earth. Warning, 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 warning. Silence, you belligerent bucket of bolts. Dr. Smith, you must not take the controls until you have received a safety briefing. Oh, all right then, go ahead. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Silence! You can clump of cogs! Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the spacecraft, uh, airplane. Are you that finished? That is all. What did you say? That is all. Then shut up that silly speaker. Oh, where is Jack Hodgson when you need him? You may proceed. All right, then, here we go. Danger, 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 danger.
1: So, here's, I've got a scheme for promoting the podcast. Here's what we're going to do we're going to create, we're going to build a home built balloon. And then <laughs> and then I'm going to go, "Where's Dave? Oh my god, where's Dave?" And uh come to find out he's hanging out
2: in the shoebox, Bar and Grill. That's
3: right. <laughs> his, which which his, we knew going into it, of yeah, course, that he was hanging Andy out Dandy. at the shoebox, Bar and Grill. Yeah, that's right, exactly, exactly.
1: What what, what is what, this what, story? This is bizarre. I don't even know if it's really a general aviation story. It's more of a of a an idiot story, but um uh I, I, I think it's a personally
2: I, I think it's a generally overplayed story, but long long uh, ago was overplayed. Um yeah. it, it, it it intrigued it, it intrigued the hell out of me that uh it took a real aviation story to take the world's focus off a pseudo aviation story.
1: <laughs> okay. We're gonna come back to the real aviation story in a second here. So I just got what do they call it? I just got uh ri uh, Rickrolled here. <laughs> Did you get Rick roll by uh, whom? Well, by you. Only it wasn't a genuine Rick Roll. It was an alternate Rick Roll. I, oh, okay. Uh, I okay. just clicked. Let's see you now. Who was it? This is... Uh, uh, the,
3: the, 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 the Balloon Boy link. Jeb. <laughs>
1: Jeb <laughs> put on our story list. Uh, it says the obligatory Balloon Boy link. And I'm thinking it takes me to one of the many stories about this whole fiasco. And I was going to go and kind of refresh my memory about exactly where it happened and so forth and oh, so on. Oh, so something. <laughs> about And so I go to this link, and it's actually a link to a YouTube video of the Fifth Dimension doing up up and away <laughs> i think maybe that just oh how fabulous i think that's basically the whole story right there that's um, pretty
3: much it yeah, yeah
1: that pretty much sums it all up right there welcome folks to episode 158 of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast we're recording this episode on uh, sunday evening october 25th 2009 and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, let's see now there's dave higdon he's joining us from wichita kansas hey dave how you doing uh, right at the moment, I am severely
2: slack-jawed watching the uh, uh, fifth dimension in the uh, in the, in the wardrobe
1: wardrobe, correct for the period. But, yeah.
2: Oh my God! I was growing up then.
1: Yeah, know, <laughs> yeah, our childhood, our wasted youth. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And so, David, you've been traveling. Me too. We're going to talk about that, I guess, in a little bit. Uh, but uh, you're, you're on, on the, the road again, or yeah. in the air again, as the case may be. We need uh, we need uh, Willie to do a song called "In the Air." Or we need a we need an anthem for those of us who are not road warriors but air warriors. Sure we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of air warriors, Jeb Burnside's here too, and uh, he's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida.
3: How you doing, Jeb? I'm okay. Uh, been better, been worse. Uh, I'll get through this episode, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll go from anything there. you want
1: to share with us here. Or?
3: No, just a, just a tough weekend, yeah. and, and uh, um, as far as. Um, um, uh, I don't know how to put it. Uh, not getting enough sleep. Let's put it that. Way. I didn't. I didn't get enough sleep last night. Yep. You, you don't. You don't want to know the gory details.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, where I'm drinking my uh, the last Lining Kugels I have in the house, and it's going to make me burp any second now. I'm trying to. I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to do it on on mic or not. Anyways. Um, so before we begin, we can kind of begin with a lighthearted tone here, but we've got some very very sad news to report and we want to we we want to give this the uh, the uh, the important position in the podcast that it it deserves. Over the last 6 months, we've talked from time to time sending out our best wishes to our friend Terry Fowler from Sun and Fun Radio, uh who was fighting the good fight against uh, a form of leukemia. We got the news yesterday that uh, Terry lost his battle with uh, with cancer and passed away yesterday afternoon. Uh, he was 50 years old. He was a long-time volunteer at the Sun and Fun Fly-in. He was one of the founders of Sun and Fun Radio. He was one of the people who was instrumental in making that part of Sun and Fun, anyways, uh, the the great thing that it is. And and I. I I, understand, I didn't know Terry very well. I met him a few times uh, the, when he was our very, very generous and kind host when the podcast first went down there and uh, heard stories of, of both then and since about all of the great things he did for Sun and Fun, uh, the fly-in and the radio program there and uh, it's just incredibly sad to hear that he wasn't able to prevail in his fight i I've, uh dave Shalbetter, the other co-founder has been uh, keeping us informed and and telling us about the heroic measures that terry was uh, was uh taking in order to beat this thing and and how he did not give up even to the very end but uh but in the final analysis he was not able to prevail and and, and it's just incredibly sad and and uh, e- even a person like myself who knew him not very well will miss him, and, uh, and I will remember him for a long time to
3: come. David, you well, know, yeah, you, uh, oh, Jeb, go ahead quick, first. Yeah, just real, real quickly, uh, like, like yourself, I didn't know Terry that well. I, I, uh, I knew of his, of his invaluable contributions to the radio station. Uh, all the staff uh, around there uh, really enjoyed being with him and working with him. Uh, and uh they they too you know will obviously take a hit on this, but uh uh I think Terry had i don't know a wife i don't know about children i don't know about any other um, um, close family members but our, our thoughts are definitely with them
1: David, you knew him a little better than us. Can you tell us anything more that uh
2: oh, the important thing was that Terry uh, uh Jerry was the kind of guy that made you smile he was a genuine human being. Uh, I don't think there was an ounce of malice in his body—at least, not, no time that I ever saw. Uh, first got to know him when uh, the you know Dave Schalbetter and, and Terry put together the first little Sun and Fun radio operation, uh, and it was in a a storage room at the Sun and Fun Media Building, mm-hmm. uh, where they didn't always get access because that was actually also the interview room for VIPs and such reporters so uh, they made it thrive and grow and turn it from a little uh, you know it's a six by six office operation to uh, a studio with a host of volunteers who put out uh, a, a really good programming product uh, during the show every year and to the end Terry was the kind of smiling uh, uh, easy to work with uh, uh, decent guy that you you always like hanging around with, having a beer with, yeah. so he touched a lot of people, touched me, and uh, it's uh, a little difficult to conceive that uh won't be back at Sun and Fun at all,
1: yeah. except in our minds and hearts. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, to uh To uh, all of his family and his friends and the entire Sun and Fun community, particularly the Sun and Fun radio community, our thoughts go out to you all. Um, We will miss Terry, but we will not forget Terry. So, uh, moving on. um, David, I talked about how you'd been traveling. You were down at uh, NBAA, the National Business Aviation Association's annual show. What was that like? What happened? Uh, Well, as you might expect, it was a little bit... It was a little bit
2: restrained, Uh, not as seeming to feel a sense of impending doom that was going around last year when there was onset of shell shock that the the whole energy and the balloon of the market was starting to implode around them. That that implosion's long gone, and we've gone through a precipitous decline. This year, the folks were back just kind of like, okay, we've been there. We've gotten through that. Now we need to know how to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, attendance was down uh, 25%. Uh, booth space was down, the you know, the square footage. Uh, number of exhibitors who uh, took up that floor space was down the least of all. It was only down about 9 percent and last year was a record Uh, so that's holding up in terms of business representation. That's holding up fairly well. Uh, Neither Cessna nor Hawker Beach though had any presence on the exhibit hall floor at the Orange County Convention Center and uh, that really had a huge impact on the square footage sold. Yeah, that's, that's a But first. I think it, I think mm-hmm. it influenced a shift in crowd patterns because other exhibitors beefed up their static display presences as well. Did. Uh, uh, Siphoned off bodies from the, uh, from the hall.
1: Yeah. So you said what you said Cessna and Hawker Beechcraft. Were absent from exhibits. Yes, yes. You know, but between the two of them, they accounted for about an acre of floor space. Yeah, right. Now, was this a a, a one shot, one year thing, or have they announced that this is a strategic change for them? Uh, we don't know what. What, what what's next? Wouldn't surprise
2: me if that represents a sea change. Yeah, depending on how happy they are with their ability to uh, do business and the quality of the conditions for doing business.
1: Seeing this all throughout the uh, the trade show industry, uh, that uh, large exhibitors are realizing, rightly or wrongly, are deciding that they don't need to spend the incredible amount of money that it takes to do a booth like that. Um, that they don't know they don't need
2: to when everybody else doesn't need to. Uh, I think these expansions and contractions go on in cycles of folks first deciding to try to either keep ahead or keep up with or leapfrog leapfrog the Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then things kind of start to get incrementally bigger and flasher. flasher. Uh, Then it gets to a point where business conditions can't support it uh the market available does not justify it Every, everyone looks around and says why were we spending all this when we didn't have to
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh and it goes away some of what goes away will go away permanently some of it will go conditionally depending on when somebody else starts to do it again
1: right so what about uh stories were there any announcements any uh any news that came out of NBA uh not much uh there were
2: uh, a lot of progress reports on various programs. Uh, you know, the development continues, although development's not as robust as, as, as in years past. Uh, the, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I don't want to mispronounce this here. Um, where is it? New jet program, Stratos. Uh, they had a presence there, generated some REPL. Uh, the, uh, the, the most pressing conversation I heard on the on, on the hall floors and around the social events was that there's kind of an exhale going on because a lot of people feel like it's bottomed out.
1: That mm-hmm.
2: it stopped falling; it's not going to start falling precipitously again. Uh, now we need to turn our attention to. Beating back some political arguments and some industry threats, uh, but generally then just start figuring out where the next business is coming from and how much that business is going to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, so it's boy, if it was a precise science, there'd be a lot of guys that uh, had would never have to do this but once.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Jeb, you didn't go to MBA this year. Um, but that this business aviation used to be your beat uh do you yeah, pay yeah. attention from afar i mean what what was what was your perspective I, I, from down the road
3: this this uh last couple of weeks i've i've kind of had some some distractions um personal and professional but uh it, it just wasn't in the cards for me to get over there this yeah. year okay uh, so uh, yeah i have been watching from afar um i, I haven't seen or heard you know any uh, any uh, I don't know uh, show stopping uh, yeah uh, news of any import. So sounds um, that way. Yeah, sounds yeah. that way. It, it you know every now and then you know you just have a down year. Yep. Uh, and and uh, that's that's certainly true this year. I think for NBA, it's to no one's great surprise. And uh, all things considered, they they probably did uh, as well as as uh, they could have possibly expected.
1: Yeah, MBA, uh head guy Ed Bolin is uh, a good friend of the podcast, and I guess it's long past time for us to get him back in the into the virtual hangar. So we should we should try to do. I know we've been trying to do that, but we should make it happen in the next month or so, yeah. and uh, and get up back up to speed on this thing. All right. Well, moving on again. Uh, oh, thank God, I was thirsty. David, what's this? Now, you've put this on the list. There's nothing new under cowls. Think there's nothing new under cowls. Uh, you've pointed to a site called traceengines.com. What is trace engines? Well, apparently it's an error 404
2: not found. I'm mean, uh,
1: sorry. <laughs> you
2: broke up there again. Say it one more time.
1: I said apparently it's an error 404. Uh, All right. The, oh, know, wait. Here, like we here we go. Here uh, we go. I can see. I, see I what still it is. don't understand this. That's right. We'll fix it. Hang on here. Hmm. Okay. Somebody, it's a somebody. trace. The trace v engine. Yeah, I don't engine. know why
2: that's not coming up. What comes up when I... Uh...
1: No, I do, and I'll explain it to you offline. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't care. It's a geeky but thing. Uh, represents an evolution that is changing the way the aviation world chooses power. Huh? Trace re-engineered the concept of liquid-cooled high-output V8 engines in turbo in turbocharged version for a variety... David, you better explain to me what this is all about.
3: <laughs> the, the, the Trace engine um, is um, a high-output automotive-like uh, uh, engine uh, designed as an um, alternative to um, low- to medium-power turboprop engines. Um the um if if i'm not mistaken um this uh this particular engine has had its roots in um, uh, another engine development effort uh, uh, this is not the trace engine is not something that uh, this company has, has ginned up i believe uh, from scratch i believe they've bought the rights uh to an existing design uh that's been under development for uh, i don't know at least a decade or so. Oh, and I, I forget yeah, the name they, of that.
2: They, they certified the engine, and uh, and then it didn't go anywhere. And oh, the had, That's right. The is you know, the, the big competition it was up against at the time it, the, the, the original developers were playing with it was uh, early generation King Airs and Conquests uh, mm-hmm. that had these old-style uh, turboprop engines that were Just and still are, you know, exorbitant to overhaul. And, uh, new stuff is so much less expensive, has better time cycles. Well, that these high output V8s were seen as a a high altitude possible, uh, alternative to that with some really decent operating economics, and it just went nowhere.
1: Well, are these things. Are these things um, approved for any certificated aircraft yet?
2: I don't remember. I should
3: look at well, some aircraft the, applications here. The uh, part of their website says something to the effect that Trace Engines completed the purchase of all technology rights, manufacturing and equipment, FAA, Transport Canada, and European aviation certifications, and all worldwide manufacturing and sales rights for the Arenda 600 horsepower V8. Um, that doesn't tell me that it's, it's fully certificated. I, I, I don't know is the quick answer, whether it's been uh, fully, uh, when poke around here, according
1: to their own webpage, um, they can't list even one aircraft that it's been STC'd for. Right, right. Um, they kind of, if you don't read the text, which I didn't at first, I'm looking at the pictures going, oh, there's a bunch of airplanes. Look at this, king airs and queen airs and aero commanders. And then you read the text and you realize mm-hmm. that, oh, they're looking for partners to complete the STC for those aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, the good news is the engine work's been
2: pretty much done now. It's the installation and application work that needs to be done
1: yeah i mean i'm all in favor of new technology in airplanes i'm always suspicious though that the reason that 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 traditional aircraft technology is so expensive is not because the technology is expensive but the certification process and so forth makes it expensive and that even when you get you know quote-unquote i'm making finger quotes here cheaper technology like this once it once it Becomes part of the whole certification and and you know process, it will become expensive too. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it it will undoubtedly wind
2: up with cost added to the whole process to uh, develop and 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 earn the STC. There's no way around that. Uh, but then it'll also carry a higher price because uh, the people who pay the money to develop the STC will then own the STC and they will want to make sure that they get a good profit. Off the return, uh then the question is, do they sell enough of these s d c s to make back their investment After that, it's pretty green money, and partnering to get an s d c in a circumstance like this could mean nothing more than three owners banding together to supply an airplane
1: oh, okay, yeah, yeah. All right well, we'll keep an eye on it i like i said i'm 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 all for new technology because it one. it intrigues me that they have the
2: uh it an s g c in progress they say for the air tractor four hundred thrush
3: mm-hmm. uh, yeah well it says it's been certified... <clears throat> excuse me since so it's been certified for use in the air tractor four hundred i don't know if that means in progress or not uh it sounds like it's been approved and is is working although um it's, it's, it's not possible to tell from this website at this time how many, um, how many copies have been installed in that airframe.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll, uh, we'll report some more when we learn some more. It, it, uh, at, at the end of the day, what, what these folks are trying to do is basically
2: reinvention of a technology that was used very, very successfully on high-performance aircraft going back to the 19-teens. Uh, starting with the OX-5, which was a, a, mm-hmm. a V liquid-cooled engine, and continuing through the uh, Allison and Rolls-Royce Merlin v, V-12s. Mm. Liquid-cooled and uh, great fuel specifics. Uh, heavy engines, but high output with the uh, structure uh, able to endure the high output and the temperatures fairly well. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. The, 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 the downside it
2: on a lot less gas than, than a
3: kerosene burner. Yeah, the downside here is is uh, automotive like engines just have a lousy track record in, in aviation applications. Um, there is a lot of promise in uh, this this particular design has been around uh, for a long time. It's been under development for a, a while. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that that don't involve the technology or the appropriateness of the technology. But um you take an engine that's originally designed in an automotive for an automotive application, uh and um i.e. at low power and spend most of its time at a very low power with with occasional bursts to high power, and then you ask it to run at high power, uh, you know, seventy five percent uh, or, or greater percentage of power most of its life, and um, some of these things just don't work out so, all that well. You, you have to have gear reduction boxes and, and things like that, It's just a lot of moving parts going on, and um, it kind of makes me a- conclude that there, there are reasons for uh, um, piston engines especially um, to uh, be designed from the ground up uh, for aviation applications. I, I don't I think
2: that the Renda engines were uh, uh, clean sheet. Uh, engines made for the air
3: they, air. they 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 may be built on yeah. some automotive. They, they may be, but it's still, but you know, that same basic automotive technology and you uh, know um, V8 configuration and uh, um, uh, having to turn. Uh, many multiples, uh, well, almost many multiples, of uh, uh, having to turn, you know, 4,000 RPM or something like that to make its rated power, uh, and then requiring a, um, uh, some type of gearbox to to uh, r- reduce the uh, the RPMs to the prop. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the the only uh, aviation application uh, for an automotive engine that's been remotely successful, which I'm aware recently, has been. Uh, um some of the um, the tealert uh and uh, uh european based um diesels in, uh, diesel that have been installed for example in the, the diamond uh, da24 diesel twin um, those engines had their roots um as a mercedes benz engine um some of those engines were uh um, i think for industrial use if not for automotive use and one of our listeners could could shed some more light on that, but uh, um, those engines have been relatively successful, although uh, you might want to ask a few tailored operators about that. Um, But uh, um, I I don't know. I'm just very skeptical, I guess, when it comes to trying to to convert an automotive like engine to aviation use. The the track record over time just hasn't been that good.
1: We could all get Corvair engines in our airplanes and uh...
3: Yeah, there's there's a uh a choice. Yeah. Uh, I don't for, really like think have you to eat for both of the airplane and the pilot.
2: I I'm I was pretty sure that the engines that they came up on under the old Render program started with the concept for the big uh GM engines, uh the Corvette engine. But what they wound up putting on the airplane, certifying as an aircraft engine was uh you know, new casting, new block, uh, the uh, the whole thing built up for the the aircraft work, so that by at the end of the day, it was essentially a new engine. Right. Uh, I think if its timing had been better, it might have uh, might have gone someplace in that original application. I'm not saying it would have ever been a widespread catch on because the turbines have. Uh, gotten a lot better, and those could be competitive these days. But yeah. for those early airplanes, I think they might have made it happen. But we'll uh, we'll see if anybody makes it happen this time around. Yeah,
1: right.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go run to Vegas and put yeah. money. Okay.
1: As I mentioned earlier, both Dave and I uh, were uh, let's see we were, were the beneficiaries and the victims of airline airplane travel this past week, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. David, you got to. Uh, So you, you caught a ride from a friend down, what, to and, to and from NBAA or Orlando for various things? To and from, uh, oh, Wichita and Orlando, uh,
2: in the, uh, red seat of a, uh, Citation Mustang.
1: Cool. Cool. Did you get any stick time? No. Uh, <laughs> That's right, because there there are no humans flying that airplane. It's all the it's George and uh, various avionics, right? It, you know it was uh it was I get
2: to ride along and I'm a qualified pilot, so putting me up in the right seat is a regulatory help.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah.
2: That said, uh, the owners on just took delivery of it a, a few weeks ago. The airplane had 37 hours on it when we left Wichita. Uh. I'm not even asking to fly it. Yeah. Oh. The dude not on this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So what was it like? Nice airplane? Extremely nice airplane. Uh, very easy getting in and out of the cockpit. The cockpit was very comfortable. Uh, the seating arrangement for the four seats in the back, which are on the opposite. They're behind the entry door. And, uh... Entry door is right up behind the cockpit, so it makes it kind of nice. You come up, take a left, you're you flying front seat, you take a right, and you're in the club seating area. Uh, flat floor all the way through, uh, hmm. nice width. And other than needing to know how to program the, and, and use effectively the G1000 that's specific to the airplane, uh it didn't seem to be anything particularly difficult about flying it or uh it, and in particular how well it was set up for single pilot.
1: Uh-huh. Now, you 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 said it was a Citation Mustang. Now this is the airplane that Cessna wants us to think of as being a VLJ, right? They don't really like being part of the VLJ. Well, somebody wants it to be categorized as a VLJ,
3: right? Isn't it? It's it's in a basic uh, uh market segment. Yeah, it's it's a little bit larger as I recall, then Insane Eclipse, or, or the, the uh, planned um, Adam 700, um, both of which were, were considered to be BLJs, both by their their manufacturers and the, in the public. Um, Cessna, I think, what do they call it, a personal jet?
1: Uh,
3: or, or do they even call it that? No, day?
1: Cirrus was calling theirs the personal jet. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what Cessna was calling it.
2: Cess- Cessna calls it to... Uh, Best damn little entry uh, personal jet that uh, single pilot jet that you can get. It it's not a
1: speed demon. Uh, it's also not uh, you know charitable on the fuel budget. Uh, it's not a speed demon. It merely goes three hundred knots. Right? How fast does it cruise? We were we we were running right between three twenty five and three thirty knots true airspeed. <laughs> Sorry, no take f- away his microphone. I know, really. It's I'm thinking, disgusting. I'm thinking how hard you worked to maintain 145 knots when we were going to and from Wichita. I know. Yeah, I yeah. Know. It, 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 you know,
2: so true. There. Uh, on the other hand, that, I spent a lot less on Avgas than was spent on kerosene because uh-huh. uh, you're talking 240 pounds an hour per side.
1: But now it took us it took us the better part of seven hours to go from Wichita to uh well to Tampa basically. How long did it take you guys to fly Wichita to Orlando in that thing? We were three and fifteen. Yep. Okay. So yeah, that's all you need to say. A different kind of experience. Uh, anything else interesting? I mean, I suppose it's like you, you didn't get a chance to stop at any funky little airports to refuel or see. This is the bad part about these jets, right? It's like it, it, the experience is not the same, right? It it, right? it it does. What it expands is the available day you have to do whatever you want. I tr- it's, mm-hmm. so it's so you got more end at more time at each end, but you miss out on the world's mangiest airport dog because you
2: Only <laughs> if your intent is to minimize the time spent in route, yeah, you can also. Do a little,
1: uh, you know. I'm going to go
2: see what this little 3,000 foot strip looks like. Uh, I would put that airplane into a number of places under 3,500 feet that are desirable as hell to go into state parks, private resorts. I uh, wouldn't feel a bit uncomfortable about the concept because watching the runway that it took and the rotation speed employed to get us airborne. Put it down in the same territory as Jeb's Demonair and my Comanche. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: At the rate, at the weights we were flying, which uh, I think if you added, you know, if you had two guys and 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 their dates, girlfriends, wives, whatever, uh, and luggage for a weekend, that it would add maybe five percent to its get up, go and rotate uh, time. Mm-hmm. So there's a. There's a lot of the world that's, that that opens up when you've got an airplane like that, and you just don't have to spend much time getting there.
1: Yeah, well, so you were the uh, beneficiary of airplane travel. I was uh, a victim of airplane travel, I uh, and I was a relatively benign victim. It was just, like, boring. It wasn't scary or anything like that. But uh, I was coming back from... You weren't different... trying to get into Minneapolis-St. Paul, another other words. No, no, no. Well, that's another story. Um, but I was coming back from Des Moines, Iowa, by way of uh, O'Hare... And uh, and the weather was really bad. There was like a lot of of uh, low vis- low uh, visibility, uh, uh, low clouds, rain, and such throughout that mid- part of the Midwest. So uh, I arrived at uh, Des Moines Airport for my flight, and they immediately told us that uh, that they had been t- although the the equipment coming in was on schedule, um, they were being told that they weren't going to be allowed. They weren't going to be released to go back to O'Hare. Um, anytime in the near future, because it was just so crowded and busy and delayed there. So we ended up being an hour and a half late getting back to O'Hare, which wouldn't in of itself been so bad, except that, that means I missed my connecting flight. And the next flight from O'Hare to Manchester, New Hampshire was like six, seven hours later. So I got to spend uh, uh, six hours sitting in uh, in uh, the O'Hare, one of the O'Hare terminals. And uh, that was a lot of fun, I have to tell you. Um, I was joking. I I, 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 I was. Uh, there were a bunch of Twitter friends following me, and I was kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, alternately, uh, uh, you know, reporting on this and whining on Twitter. And uh, and at one point, I said something along the lines of, you know, I, in, of all the places I thought that I'd be living next, I didn't think it would be O'Hare uh, Airport. And then uh, and somebody, I think it was Scarfrey Jet, came on and said, "Yeah, it's not quite as nice as living in Hidden River, is it?" <laughs> it's like I know Jack, you want to live in an airport, but that's probably not the one you want to live at so uh finally made it made really? home and uh it just took a long 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 time and uh otherwise uneventful um I what did, was
3: the what was the movie with tom hanks where he's living at the
1: Jfk airport oh yeah right i forget i never saw that movie but i know the one you mean uh, yeah i never
3: I never really saw it either but so,
1: no, I in, in terms of movie reference, it's more more the John Candy uh, boats and planes and trains and, and thing <laughs> uh, movie that I was experiencing. I did have a little mini uh, William Shatner moment, though. Um, you know, so, and this was not on the way home. Actually, this was on the way out. Uh, one of the airplanes I got on, I was seated at a window seat just just behind the wing. And so I'm looking out the window at the wing, and I'm seeing all kinds of, like, grease and grime on the on the uh the upper surface of the wing and i'm and i'm looking at this you know and it it all kind of seems to be coming from two or three different like like uh uh, you know hinge connector points where the where the flaps or spoilers or something are are attached and i'm looking at this and i'm thinking well a that's really ugly and uh, doesn't really speak well of the airline that i'm riding on but b at what point does this kind of thing rise to the level of is there something broken in there, you know? Um, the, the, because it, was very, it wasn't very—it was like the whole wing was dirty. It was like there was this one particular area, as if something could be leaking right in there, you know? And I'm looking at it going, what should I do? Should I? And I've, I just, you know, kind of held my breath, and we flew, and it didn't go down when I was on it, so that's a good thing. And uh, there have been no news reports, so apparently it hasn't gone down since, but... Uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, you know, we hear stories, you know, we reported on the story about the guy who noticed that the fuel was leaking out, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you hear good stories about people speaking up, you know, and you kind of wonder at what point do you speak up or what, what point do you just kind of keep your mouth shut, you know. Uh, yes, you well, know. I mean, Flight attendant, I, I, thought, I am a pilot, yeah. you know,
3: listen to me, yeah. you know. I, I've, I've told that story before of how I... Of uh, you saw uh, the ice. ice, yeah, you know, on a wing, but... Uh, um, yeah it's it's uh, what what kind of airplane was it do you recall it
1: was um it was either um a uh an erj a uh, what is it a 170 175 um or it was a 320 i I don't the reason i'm not sure is because it was one of the two flights i was on going out and i was on an erj and uh on a 320 uh, uh airbus um and I don't recall which one it was. I actually took a picture, and I uh, haven't had a chance to post it yet. But uh, I'll post the picture of it at some
3: point and let people want, d- dis- see the gremlin. We want to see if it's the the fifties era. Yeah, we want to see uh, if it's right. Is carpet, it the shaggy carpet gremlin, or if it's the, uh, in black and white, or if it's the seventies era color gremlin with a little bit more style and panache? To it. Yeah,
1: okay. All right. Well, I'll post that picture at some point so uh yeah so I, i'm sitting in O'Hare tweeting with a bunch of uh, uh twitter friends and uh they're all going jack you need to buy that airplane you know now the 150 is looking a lot better isn't it so
3: i don't know well, i'm not sure know, if that would have served me in this particular yeah case. i don't know if a 150 would <clears throat> would be the right platform for des moines back to new hampshire but uh,
1: although on a nice day i might have done it faster than yeah i, I you did have, you, you could well have done it it was faster. like 15 hours door to door um So anyways, Uh, let's see now here. Um, I just wanted to call attention to a quick little story here this was this is actually a travel piece this is from the providence journal's website and presumably it's a story that was in the newspaper um from canoeing to climbing a fire tower many ways to view this is a travel to connecticut or or to rhode island uh story um and one of the piece bits in it was a little four or five paragraphs about uh learning to fly about get out there and learn to fly you know and uh, apparently uh uh, our friends at aopa had seeded this in the story and had been talking to them because they're quoted in it and that's good. My problem with this is that I think that here's a quote um um, smoot it
2: out, son. Speed yeah, out.
1: well, I'm trying to figure out how to express myself here because I'm just kind of this is me being annoyed the way only I can be annoyed. Uh, the quote is: "Let's uh, the Let's Go Flying program shows how easy and affordable it is to obtain a pilot's pli- uh, pilot's license." Uh, said, uh, let me jump back here. The woman, it's uh, Catherine Beck, who's a spokesperson for AOPA. Uh, she then went on to say, "It says according to Beck, most flight students can expect to spend between seven thousand and ten thousand dollars." and it just it just burns my ass when i see these sorry Uh burns my something it makes me upset when i see these see these things all right because that's just the wrong message to be getting out there to say that it's going to cost seven to ten thousand dollars to learn how to fly first of all i don't believe it's accurate um second of all if it is we're talking about maybe going well maybe not all the way to instrument but like you know learning how to fly in a you know you know in a Expensive airplane of some sort, you know, a Bonanza or a, or a Mooney or something, all right? Um, and doing rentals all the time. I mean, there are ways. AOPA should be out there. God bless them. They do a lot of great things. But in this case, I think they've made a mistake. They should be out there selling this, you know, uh, telling the story about how inexpensive it is to learn to fly LSA. And right. they should be, be qu- quoting, you know, numbers that are in more in the 3,000, 4,000,
3: 5,000 range. Well, um, I don't think they should be quoting numbers at all. Uh, because you know, if, if you if you sat down and you started adding up all the money that we spend on aviation, and, and, uh, whether it's personal transportation, recreation, or, or business, or, or everything in between, um, in a lot of ways, it's not going to be cost effective. Uh, um, you know, the, the old saw of you know how much does it cost you to op- your, operate your airplane? Well, I don't know because I don't want to know. Yeah, uh, but. What should be, you know, the, the, the original tech here in the story uh, is, is talking about things like, you know, getting out and viewing the fall foliage and, and doing it by kayak or, or uh, you know, some other mo- uh, type of recreation. And then the piece talks about, you know, you can also just fly over it and, you're in, you know, after you get your pilot's license. And that's, you know, one way to, to, to promote this getting into the nitty-gritty details of, of how much it costs to learn to fly, they didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about how, how, how much time or effort or money it takes to learn how to kayak uh, in this story. A um, you know, few people really spend much time and effort talking about how much time, effort, and money it takes to learn how to uh, operate a boat, for example, or, uh, or even motorcycles or anything like that. Um you sell the sizzle, uh get get the hook sunk uh uh in the in the prospective customer before you start really getting down to dollars and cents. Um it might be better to just avoid talking about how much it costs to learn to fly altogether uh and, and get that hook sunk.
1: Well, first. I I I guess I agree, except that you, you gotta have an answer to that question because it's a question you get all the time and uh and saying, "Oh, between seven and ten thousand dollars is the wrong answer all right. well you
3: could say between a thousand
1: and a hundred thousand you know and would be just as accurate you know that might be a way to do it I mean we need to
3: find a good PR
1: person to help us spin this right? there has got to be
3: a way to express this and, and, is, and the, the correct answer is you know it it depends is is the correct short answer um you could probably get thank by you,
2: thank you freaking
3: thank you yeah well uh you can you can uh, um Probably get a, a sport pilot certificate for under two grand, um, and would would accomplish exactly the kind of mission, uh, perhaps even better than some other aircraft and other certificates might uh, might work, but accomplish exactly the same kind of mission. Being an advocate here in this mm-hmm. article about you know getting out and seeing the fall colors,
2: it accomplishes a mission. But uh, here's the thing: if you game the system to get a sport pilot's license and you know people that can give you access to a light sport compatible old airplane, you can do this really inexpensively. You can even go forward with your private uh, almost as inexpensively if you can gain the system and get access to that kind of cheap airplane. If you go to a 141 flight school, you go to uh, an outfit that's got uh, any airplanes on the ramp for flight instruction that are younger than... Five years or younger, that number quoted in this report is going to be closer to the truth. Because those airplanes rent for the kind of numbers that would have taken our breath away when we were getting pilots licenses. And they have a capability that we would have never expected to be renting when we were working to get our pilots' licenses. Uh so the the the, you know, the hump in the hill has shifted a little bit. So like Jeb said, it depends.
3: A hump in the hill. Well
2: that, well, that could be banana. the title right there. That yeah. could be the title and, uh, of this episode. <laughs> At the end of the day, and, and I and I argue with this, and I can flush out numbers on how to make it how to make it work. And I've done it on a forum site and in blog posts. The cheapest way to get a pilot's license is to go out and find the least expensive starter airplane you can mm-hmm. and use it in which to get your license, because mm-hmm. then you're not paying. To, to, for the ownership and support and insurance and maintenance of somebody else, you're doing it for yourself.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you want to now sell that airplane after two or three years, if you've kept it in good operating shape and just kept up what it was like when you bought it, you can probably get your money back out of it again.
3: Yeah. I was having this conversation last night with some neighbors uh, about, you know, um, someone wants to learn to fly uh, here. You know, they are living on an airport. Um, what kind of airplane would be a good one to buy for this airport and for the purpose of learning how to fly? And um, uh, after that, what's next, kind of thing? And I was trying to, you know, make the argument of looking at this as a two or three-year solution. It's not going to take uh, someone a, a year uh, of concentrated effort to learn how to fly. But nevertheless, um, you, you don't necessarily want to go through the hassle of selling the airplane immediately after getting your private. Um, you want to be able to you know go a couple of places with a couple of people uh in the airplane and i was you know kind of basically advocating for a um a low uh cost VFR FR only perhaps uh 172 mm-hmm. uh which would be a good you know good compromise you could you could actually go someplace in the thing once you got your private and uh, there you go the, the margins <clears throat> excuse me the margins for error the the the, the uh Speed, the cap- the range capabilities, load carrying capabilities, just give you a little bit extra flexibility over a 150 or, or similar airplane. And as I say, I was advocating for that for that kind of a solution. I almost never
2: advocate a trainer.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: I, I almost never. And the and 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 my my label for it is always starter airplane. Huh. Uh, it be the starter in which you get your private pilot's license. It. And get you started flying cross country and taking trips. Uh, it can be the starter that'll get you through your instrument rating, uh, and you'll be jockeying a really fundamental panel to do it. But it's doable. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get that done and are ready to move on, you've made that you've you've learned whether this is something you're going to continue to want to do, or whether you've kind of tapped yourself out for this experience and you're ready to go back to kayaking.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of this, of course, is is dictated by budget. You know, one of the discussion parameters last night was was trying to keep things to you know, ten or fifteen grand, and you'd be hard pressed to find a, a flyable, or let me put it another way, you'd be hard pressed to find a skyhawk that you'd want to fly. That was yeah. that you only had to pay ten or fifteen for. Right. Um, you could easily do that with a one fifty, 150, one fifty two trauma hawk, something like that. On the other uh,
2: hand, you can find cherokees one
3: mm-hmm.
2: forties one with one fifty horse uh one one sixty horse uh, you can find those in between the twenty and thirty thousand dollar mark pretty readily and they you know they they have lost all they're going to lose
3: well yeah and and we were uh cutting up a little bit with Jack via email and Twitter about uh, uh needing to needing buy an airplane, and I sent him a link to uh a trader plane ad for a, uh, I think it was a 77 model Skyhawk.
1: Yeah, it was a nice airplane, looked like.
3: It had a long-range fuel, had an HSI, it had older radios, there was no moving map in the panel. Um, but it, had, it even had a radar altimeter. That was what um, I thought was
1: kind of funky. Yeah, <laughs>
3: um, and the the asking price was 43 or something like that. You could clearly you know, get it for 40 or perhaps even, even much less than that. um it was, the only the only thing that really would have concerned me about the airplane is uh, um, it was clearly low time and had had not been flown all that much, but that's, that's not, a, certainly a deal breaker. You can get a good uh, inspection on it so you know what you're getting. Yeah. But uh, that kind of airplane would be a great one to learn in, especially learning instruments. And, you know, you want to get a moving map? Well, that's, you know, all it takes is, you know, a few more dollars. You got some equipment in there that you can trade out. Uh, it's not going to be worth all that much, but it will help defray the cost of, of sticking, say, a four thirty or something like that in the panel. Um, yeah. it, it all depends, you know, on, on what you want to do and, and how you want to do it.
1: Yeah. The punchline, and then I want we'll move on here. But the punchline to the story, I think, did right. actually
3: did he actually say? Yeah. The punchline.
1: I've learned a lot Punch from line. you. I've learned nice. a lot from you over the years, Jeb. Um, yeah, but you see, none that of those
3: punchline. Some of those things you shouldn't have learned. I know.
1: And some of them I should never own up to. <laughs> um, the punchline here to me is that we all, and I think David, of the three of us, has it down the best. I think, Jeb, you have an answer, too. I'm not sure if, not sure if I do. We all, not just the three of us, all, everybody listening, everybody who wants to to promote aviation wants to express our love of aviation needs to have an answer to this question all right and and the answer is i, I guess the answer is not as simple as quoting a number all right but but people are going to ask you how much is it going to cost and you have to have an answer that that leaves them still excited about the idea all right and i kind of like dave's but i'm going to work on my own and uh, everybody should be thinking about this what do you say to people when they say how much is it going to learn how to fly so I want everybody. This is this is your homework. Not you guys, everybody, our listeners. Um, what's what's a good answer to this question? What's your answer to this question? Uh, send it to us an email or post it in the forums. Mm-hmm. So, this is survey. (laughs) It's like the thing I find interesting about this uh, Gamma and MBAA have uh, recently, a week or so ago, posted the results of a survey um, that they think says some good things about uh, business aviation, and and maybe it does. Um, But I think there's a more interesting story here. Um, First of all, is that all three of us separately put links to this story in the show notes list. Um, Were they all different links? Uh, I think so. Let's you know. I put a link to uh, oh sure A I N. You put a link to uh, no plane, no gain, uh, and Jeb put a link to uh, gamma. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and now now I am going to ask. I am going to ask Jeb to talk about this a little bit because he mm-hmm. seems to have the most emotional reaction to this. Um, so, first of all, can you kind of give us two paragraphs on what the survey or what the story is, uh, uh, what the press release was, and then
3: your reaction to it? Well, the the. Um the uh, survey and this is i 'm um, looking at the, the at gamma 's website and their October 15 uh, press release on the topic it says uh, gamma and uh, NBAA today published a new survey showing conclusively that some of the recent portrayals of business, business aviation are inconsistent <clears throat> with the true nature of the industry well that 's a, a no brainer um, we knew that going in and anybody with a pulse. Um, uh, should be able to take some of this with a grain of salt, uh, irrespective of whether they're familiar with general aviation or not. A um, uh, quote from uh, uh, Piedmont, another quote from Ed Bowen. This is a survey based on interviews conducted with pilots and passengers involved in business aircraft flights. Fines. Um, small companies operate the majority of the aircraft. Um, uh, companies using business aviation typically operate only a single aircraft. Managers and other mid-level employees are the typical passengers on on business aircraft as opposed to chairman or chairman of the board, uh, a board member or CEO or somebody like that. Um, Employees tend to use their time on board the company aircraft more effectively and productively than if they are on an airline flight. That's a no-brainer. The whole idea about using uh, general aviation for, for business purposes, or for that matter, a lot of personal purposes, is to save time. And then uh, a large majority of flights, 80%, uh, uh, go in and out of secondary airports or airports with infrequent or no scheduled airline service. Uh, all of these are very good uh, points. All of these are, are good, uh, good results, if you will. But it's again, it's not something that we in the industry um, really need needed to be told. Um, the survey is certainly a um, I don't know, means to an end. But what I would like to see is instead of um, this the survey, and of course now we also have some links here to, uh, uh, to some coverage of um, um, the survey's results. One of those links um, that Dave put up is, to, is uh, a page on the No Plane, No Gain website, which is an industry-supported site trying to promote ventilation. The other link here is to uh, AIN Online um all of all of this is again you know kind of a choir uh, an echo chamber here we 're talking back and forth to ourselves. If, on the other hand, I might read about this in time or Newsweek or on the front page of the New York Times or The Wall Street Journal, uh, I would feel a little bit better about it um, well, it's worth as, recognizing as, here that we're we're the cutting
2: edge of the when we plug these links, when we post them to the site, we're the cutting edge of the reaction wave to this stuff getting done mm-hmm. uh of course, that's their target getting some ink in the other in in the mainstream press is what it's all about, and none of this looks at that it would
3: be nice if we were able to yeah there's there's no there's like no needs no, to follow up to it yeah there's no sizzle here either um <clears throat> okay, great, you know we got some numbers we got you know one or two airplanes per company, and, and, and okay, that's fine. And and all of that is accurate. All of that is reasonably well accepted throughout the industry. Um, we know that part. What we don't know is how to use, leverage uh, these numbers, these facts, and, and get them into the mainstream press and, and use that leverage um, to, to start changing people's attitudes. We're a long, long way from that here no quibble there bro no quibble there
1: yeah. it it does i mean I, I agree with you i think it sounds to me like what you're getting at here is that this is yet another reactionary instead of you know proactive well, this stuff wow. has that's, to be that's, done. That's certainly this part stuff of has it. to be done. Absolutely, for you to have an argument to, to make. Yeah, right. and and having numbers. I mean, you know, we know this. It's a non-story to us and to many people who follow aviation. But the mainstream media, you know, you know, th- this is a little bit more. I mean, this for some of them, this will be more uh, uh, acceptable because it's not just some airplane nuts saying how much they love, you know, how ba- how valuable business aviation is. This and, is like, and
2: truth be told, these industry groups. Do this, Kind of sampling on a regular basis, an annual basis. Right. Uh, this particular survey and this particular push is reactive, but the industry looks at this stuff year in year out because year in year out they're using the arguments uh, to help people make the decision to help those that have made the decision continue to you know find ways to justify it when emotion might. You know, run counter to that decision. Uh, this is neither unique uh, nor uh, uh, a first for them to do this kind of information work. But everything's kind of in a in a reverb chamber right now. It all gets magnified because of the climate that we've been in and the uh, uh, assault level from the
1: uh, from the uh, well-heeled opposition. Yeah, but it, it, it's. It- it's not the be all end all but it is a, another data point that we can point to when we're talking to civilians about aviation trying to explain to them that business aviation is valuable it's not a perk it's not exclusively luxury you know it is largely It'd, it'd be
2: interesting if they would use uh scrubbed data from their customers use of the uh what was it plain sense travel uh uh Parameter program, something that got started at NBAA years ago. point Sense is an interactive program where a company enters cost data uh, and speed data from its aircraft, whatever it is, and location where they are, and the cost of the people who are approved to travel. And when a trip comes along, they put in the trip data, and it goes out and compares available airline fares, and any need for rental cars or hotels overnight if the trip can't be accomplished in a day, and compares that to the cost of operating the company airplane. It also factors in the cost of those uh, employees' time that might be lost in transit it might be lost while they're in the rental car driving someplace, as a whole part of the equation. It'd be interesting if 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 they could use that data to quantify what they're talking about and make their argument in dollars and cents in ways that even the uh, even even the most thinly
1: shaved would have trouble opposing it. Yeah. Thinly but, shaved. Yeah. Right. Um. Anyways, we're going to put a link to this in the show notes, and I'm going to invite people who – I'm just going to invite people to just kind of look at this. In, and, and what I'm going to do personally is I'm going to internalize the, the, the number, and I'm trying to do that right now. I'm not going to get it wrong here by doing it quickly. But there's a number in here, and, and people are going to say, but business jets are just a luxury. And I'm going to say, no, X percent of business aviation travel is uh, good you know, cost-effective, regular, you know, in-the-trenches folks traveling between two locations. Cheaper, better, cheaper, um, yeah. you know, um, than than the airlines. That's the takeaway here. Um, it's not the be-all, end-all. Someone's
3: going to say, well, yeah, okay, what about the remaining percentage? You know, is that the fat cats with the... With the hot and cold running blonds, yeah, uh, you know, and, and the- I'm I'm
2: all for it. and Take away the limo that got exactly. them
3: to and
1: from the office. There are limos and luxury buses, and you know, you name it. Every 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 aspect of transportation. You, you
2: attack that kind of excess? Attack all of it, not just single out one sure. and say the rest of us have to pay because of the excess yeah. of you. Okay, get the excess people across the
1: board on the things are excessive on. Then maybe we can talk. Right. Okay, let's see now. We got a whole bunch of things here. We're never ever going to get to all these. I'm going to start. I'm going to start cherry picking here. All right. Uh, there's a guy in Oakland, California, who. I'm sorry. Are you guys giving me crap again? What? What would you say? No, I didn't, didn't know it was cherry season. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy in Oakland. Oh, see, I've done it too now. Oh, crap. Now I've got a broken link here too. Um, Anyways, all right, from my memory, there's a guy in Oakland, California, who is sending a bill to to. I'm not sure if he's sending it to the White House or to Homeland Security or the TSA. Here's the story: President Obama uh, visited Oakland, California, recently, uh, and uh, they set up one of these normal thirty mile TFRs. And uh, uh, and we've seen this story before a bunch of times. All right, The difference in Oakland, at least from this guy's perspective, the difference was that this wasn't the president going to Oakland in order to meet with world leaders or do some government business. This was the president going to do a Democratic fundraising event. All right. And so the uh this guy is actually he's like the owner or principal in an FBO and he said uh, since this is not real government business then the then somebody in the government owes me money for lost business all right and if it was the government doing business I'm I'm I can be part of the program all right but if it's the Democratic Party raising some money then I need to be reimbursed and so he put together a bill of what he estimated was his lost revenue um from his uh, flight operations and he sent it to somebody all right and and I just, you know, I mean, it's it'd be really. It'd be really nice if
2: the coverage of people doing the same thing eight years ago had been uh, uh, referenced right. in this story, because this has been done before. And and well, and how did it go? It didn't go at all, right? There's no well, way it this didn't guy, go at all. Yeah. It didn't go at all. And I happen to agree with the concept. Yeah, I've, I've thought of this all along that this kind of uh, 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 usurpation. Of normal access to the airspace was excessive and that it was an illegal taking of assets when all forms of aviation related businesses not people renting trucks or driving on the highways just airplane stuff, private airplane stuff in particular was suddenly uh, not allowed to do its normal business because of a precedent setback uh, starting in September of 2001 Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know this has been wrong. It was wrong then. It was it's wrong now. uh I just wish the people that are so out of joint about it now would have been as out of joint about it then.
1: Mm. Yeah. So, anyways, I just I, I cheer this guy. I know I'm convinced he'll never see his money, uh, but I want to. You know, everybody ought to be talking about this story because I think he's got a really good point. You know, whether or not you're you're content to comply, you know, and kind of take the hit, if you will, for. True government activities, TFRs all right the idea that the president is out doing fundraising stuff for the Democratic Party is a whole different um, um, you know it 's a horse of a different color as, it the, it as as the guy said, you know so anyways.
2: Well, think about the guys down in Waco, Texas area, uh, when we had a president that took more vacation time than any president in history and spent most of it at his ranch near Waco, yeah, all of which during his visits. There was a a, a permanent off space airspace limit there, uh, and, and when he moved, all sorts of other stuff lit up.
1: Yeah, I mean, not, it was not nearly I don't think it was as 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 common as what you're just describing. But I mean, I fly out of Sanford, Maine, which was well within the thirty miles to uh, Kennebunkport, where right. um, where the first President Bush has a home, and the second President Bush would visit regularly. And uh, you know, I've been I've talked a couple of different times about the folks up there at Southern Maine Aviation, about what it was like when they would, you know, suddenly turn it on... No, the, it was nothing like it's been since uh, September of 2001. Well, but a, a lot of this activity was since then. Uh, yeah, you're right. When when the first President Bush was in office, obviously things were a little easier. Um, but but since since 9-11, um, there's still been a lot of activity up there, and they turned on that, that TFR a lot. and mm-hmm. and Well, you know, when it, it went up to a ridiculous level, and it stayed
2: at a ridiculous level, and there's never been the kind of threat to justify the kind of t f r uh enforcement in space that we've seen in 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 these years uh uh to his credit when uh president o- uh obama visited new england uh on on vacation this summer, they did work more to help some businesses. Be able to continue doing business there, even though some of them opted to to cut
1: back. Yeah, I mean, I'll give credit for making taking some steps, but I don't. I'm still not satisfied with the way no, you know, President Obama has done it. Either it, it it needs to be
2: get needs to be dialed way back. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and there's no way that the people that protect him are going to voluntarily do that unless it somehow gets on his personal radar screen and he says, "Why are we doing this and hurting these people?"
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay let's see now uh jeb you found an airplane um i did yeah so I this did. is a <laughs> it's all in a foreign language so i can't figure out what.
3: It's to... all in russian um it's uh, uh
1: it's I, a, a I, i'm B200. trying to find a
3: link and trying <clears throat> trying to find a link and trying to
1: to yeah. get uh, it's a yeah, it's all uh, the only thing it's it's literally all in russian this is a website um dot c o dot i l um, yeah. But it's a it's a YouTube video of a really cool looking, very intense amphibious uh, twin jet, uh, big uh, water bomber actually. Apparently, and yeah. Uh, um, so this is the airplane you've decided. This is the airplane you're going to get.
3: Well, it's an amphib. It, it, it you know so it, it, we can use it on water, use it on the land. Um, it's a jet, so that we can you know take all our friends and go fast. And uh, it's it's Russian, so that it's it's obviously rare and odd, and and, and of uh, high quality, I'm sure. And and, and of, you know, I'm sure it's of very high quality. <laughs> and uh, uh, just you know, bring your own wrenches. Um, it it just looks it, it's just a very cool airplane. I'm sure it's it's uh, uh, there's only uh, they, they show two of them in this video, and I, I kind of would think maybe there's only you know two or three. Period in existence. Well, called if there aren't 30. three, then they can't be the UCAP aircraft. Well, exactly. Exactly. The latter will, you know, we'll have to kill one of
1: y'all. <laughs> i would be glad to ride with either one of you guys. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, you, you don't need one of these, huh, Dave?
2: Oh, I'd take one, but if there's only two, I, uh, I don't think we
1: should cut off the whole concept just because there's oh, only okay. two. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it's good of you to make that sacrifice.
3: Right? I don't think this is Russian, by the way. I think this is Hebrew. Uh,.
1: Looking close more closely at it, I think you could be right strike uh, right, right, uh, so what is the designation b e as an airplane uh, aircraft type
3: that i don 't know uh, i'm sorry now in I'm the, gonna... you, in the in north america the b e uh two hundred uh, b e is assigned to beach, and two hundred would be the super king air, the original uh detailed uh, uh, king air uh, i don 't know what this is um, according, to sure Wiki- according to Wikipedia. according to Wikipedia.
1: The Beriev BE-200 Altair is a multi-purpose amphibious aircraft designed by the Beriev Aircraft Company and manufactured in Irkut. Uh, it's a multi-role amphibian, national origin Russia, Irkut. How many copies to- have been made? Uh, okay, we here in development. Uh, Oh. Number built nine.
3: <laughs> oh, all right. Well, n- none of us then have to die. <laughs>
1: okay. There's enough of them. There's enough of them. All right. Uh, we'll put a link to this uh, video in the uh, in the show notes, but uh, it's, uh, it's will add it to the list of possible airplanes for Jeb and the rest of us. That's right. uh, let's see now. We, what a- we, we we like those big amphib's.
2: Uh, I, I got to tell you something cool about landing the body of the aircraft <laughs> on the water, and not floats.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. So Why do you the, like that better?
2: Well, because it's so much more uh, comforting to know that you're getting yourself completely on the water, and if you screw up with one of the floats,
1: that you're not going to go, oops, I should have gotten both of those in there together. <laughs> I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Jeb, is that an issue? Do you need to la- touch both floats at the same time? You just did this. No,
3: no, you don't need to touch both floats at the same time. Um I I don't know where Dave's coming from, okay. um, but I will fight to the death his right to say that. Yeah. All right, here's two stories that uh,
1: that a couple of listeners have asked us to talk about, um, and the the and we're going to do a classic UCap. We don't know very much about this, but we'll talk about it for quite a long time. Okay, it's never slowed us down. Really, before. yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Northwest Airlines. We, we've heard this story before. Northwest Airlines. Uh, uh, Just flew right on past its destination, not answering calls to to ATC, got everybody all worked up, Uh, uh, depending on who you listen to, became that close to launching a couple of fighter jets to go and at least look at them, if not worse um the pilots on board are insistent that uh, they did not fall asleep even though that is just what everybody is saying you know it's just you go duh they fall asleep they're saying oh we got (laughs) in a they are insisting that they got into a heated discussion about air about uh, airline policy and that distracted them for over an hour such that they did not hear multiple well they actually didn't hear the calls that Wanted them to change frequencies, and then apparently they stayed on the the wrong frequency for a long time. They didn't hear. Um, what do you think? I, I call blowing snow. I know you do. On yeah, the thing, on the whole thing. You think they fell asleep? Don't
3: know. I don't know what they were doing. Whether they were they were asleep, whether they locked themselves out of the cockpit, whether um, you know there was some unclothed hanky panky going on. I don't know. Okay, but what I do know is that. Uh, um, a major carrier's passenger operation does not go Nordo for an hour and 20 minutes in this airspace. It yeah. does not happen. And whether it was, as they say, a, a heated discussion that went on for an hour 20, um, or they got locked out of the cockpit, or, or, or whatever it was, uh, this is not supposed to happen. And uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll re- readily accept. That um, they weren't asleep. Uh, I'll, I'll grant them that. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what was going on. Um, if they want to say they weren't asleep, I'll, okay, fine. You know, give us a better explanation.
1: I, you know, and I think they're, I think they're getting more trouble by not by by all these other stories. I think, quite frankly, that. You know, saying, you know, we were overworked and, you know, oh, they're so bad to us and they treat us wrong and they give us too much work and so we fell asleep would have been a way better answer than, you know, well, we
3: were distracted and we forgot to do our job. It's uh, another so
2: unexplained like, incident in the Des Moines
3: Triangle. <laughs> Jeff, go It's ahead. not like these guys have a have a career to worry about now.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, I think, well, didn't the sleep – didn't the Hawaiian fall asleep guys get their jobs back recently?
3: I, There was something – I don't recall and and maybe you know maybe these guys do have a career left, or something like that. no they're no, you know what fly, I'm thinking. It was yeah. be flying pallets of rubber and dog poop out of Hong Kong,
1: yeah, these guys are in big trouble, and I don't think that you know we got in a heated argument is actually a better answer than uh, we fell asleep, but
3: yeah, yeah. I don't uh, think it is um.
1: Uh-huh. Because this major, how much how much uh, fuel reserve does an aircraft like this carry? They that's, were, another,
3: that's a very good question. They were an well, hour
1: and a half overdue. I mean, they must well, have been getting close to running out of gas.
3: They, they were, you know. Keep in mind also that all of the uh, time that they spent overflying Minneapolis-St. Paul, and then you know they turned around and then they started heading back all of that time was at altitude at that presumably one of their one of their better cruising altitudes. so they weren't burning that much fuel uh... to do that it's it's a heck of a lot less fuel burn than if they were doing uh... uh... if they were milling around down at you know ten or fifteen thousand feet so um yeah, I, I would sure bet that there was <laughs> an
2: examination and
3: a discussion about fuel remaining and
2: destination distance made before somebody said yeah, Do you think maybe we
3: should go to Green Bay instead? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they had that discussion. I, I, what were they doing? You know, it, it's like where they beamed out of the cockpit and then up to the Starship Enterprise. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'd never well, heard your
2: you know, uh, a late I, I, defector trying to go to Canada.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, and unfortunately, the uh, the the uh, cockpit voice recorder isn't going to tell us an awful lot um, because oh, they are so lucky there. Yeah, oh. well, but oh. as someone so pointed out, that we will get what they were talking. Yeah, that's an old t- thirty-minute loop cockpit voice recorder. Yeah, so if they're Not smart, it, they didn't talk it. about it after they, you know, woke up yeah. or or you know, figuratively or literally, and uh, um, but unfortunately, we don't get to hear what was going on during the mysterious hour and a half Um, I might have even throttled back (laughs) so anyways
3: one one other uh, um, I don't know result if you will of this event is I had the unfortunate experience yesterday of watching uh, Mary Skyvo um, whom we used to refer to as Scary Mary but, you know, 10 years ago when she was running around talking about how unsafe aviation was. Um, she was actually interviewed by, I don't know, someone on MSNBC or CNN or somebody like that. And it was just, it was just unfortunate to see her come out of the woodwork uh, talking about this. And, of course, she was asked something. You know, there, there's some... Um, um, I don't know storyline going around that the uh, that ATC um, asked the crew to to make some maneuvers, uh, some kind of uh, um, I don't know altitude or heading change or something like that to verify that they were in control in command of the airplane. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, and the 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 snippet uh, of of air traffic control communications that they ran. To, to, uh, um, to explain this or, or demonstrate this, was a completely normal uh, descend and maintain and slow to kind of, of clearance from, from ATC. And it's like, what are you people smoking? Mm-hmm. Um, it was so, kind of a weird, though, ground track, if you look at... Um, well, yes and no. Um, first of all, when they started to turn around, they were still at altitude. So ATC, you know, had to give them a descent out of which was not in airspace uh that they normally would be descending in. Okay. Two, um they had to fit them into the flow. Yeah. Okay. Back into MSP. that they were originally, you know, cleared for a certain arrival going into MSP and they kind of literally blew past that. So they had to ATC had to go fit them in somewhere else. Uh you know, basically making it all up as they went. Um they had to lose altitude in a in a fairly uh, finite uh, piece of airspace. Um, so, I, I, looking at the track and and um, the time it took t- for them to get down, I don't see that there was anything out of the ordinary just based on on that information. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to wait a little while and see if there's anything new comes out of this. Oh, this will be a... Well, they could have been in real trouble and landed on a taxiway. There's that one. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Tell us that one, David. What happened? Well,
2: I'm just looking at the uh, NTSB announcement from uh, uh, Wednesday the 21st, talking about how a Delta 767 landed on an active taxiway at Hartsfield on Monday, uh, October 19th. Uh coming from Rio de Janeiro to Hartsfield, cleared to land on two seven right and instead on landed on Taxiway Mike, yeah. which Oops. is immediately to the north and parallel to two seven right. This is not Oshkosh, thank you. This is
3: two I mean, seven right on the
2: yellow dot. <laughs> two seven right was illuminated as a runway, but the uh, ILS approach rabbit wasn't turned on. Uh, so there weren't any chasing light lands. Mike was active, but
1: fortunately at the time, everybody using it was using it somewhere else. <laughs> so what I want to know is, it's a, it's a good thing that it's a good thing that check check pilot wasn't paying attention, right? Because he would this well, would he'd, have been, Ch- he'd been he'd this would pretty much yeah, located right. to the cabin. Yeah, what's that? He what? The Czech airman that was riding
2: along on this flight had been relocated to the cabin. That's my point. Like yeah.
3: That. yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking. I, I bet he's. I bet he's like, holy crap! Did I dodge that bullet? <laughs> yeah, I but, know, really. But here, here's here. I guess two questions. One, um, it, is the crew going to get a check, or get checked for their their color vision to be able to distinguish white from blue lights? Um, secondly, since This was a Delta operation, and since Delta recently acquired Northwest Airlines, I would like to to know how uh, the uh, vice president of operations week went at Delta Airlines this last week. (laughs) Love to be a fly on the wall for that. I
1: know, I know. One last thing before we wrap this up here. uh, This is the other story that I had listeners uh, saying, "Oh, you got to talk about this." Is uh, there's a video on YouTube. About a, I believe it was supposed to be an intended photo mission, uh, uh, amateur photo mission, not a professional, <laughs> um, where a, uh, a a a Beechcraft Bonanza was the uh, photo platform uh, and going out to take some pictures of an L thirty nine, which is a, a a personal warbird, a, a Czechoslovakian. Uh, Uh, fighter plane. It was a a Warsaw Pact trainer. Yeah. So they were going to go out and uh, go flying and uh, take some pictures of the L-39. In the process of getting out of the area of their airport, they apparently flew into some uh, IMC and... uh, and, and And so this is where they really started to go wrong, obviously, um, why they were flying in IMC and taken video that they then posted on the internet, all right um, is beyond me, but um, they apparently had an insanely close call with terrain um, the, the you see the video from in the in the it conference. wasn't a close call. Well, yeah, it wasn't a close call. Yeah, you know, they actually made uh, they, contact.
3: They, they 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 found the terrain. They met the terrain. The terrain and the terrain let them get away.
1: Yes, that's, yeah. That's cool. it, you know, and it's funny because you watch the video from inside the aircraft, and and as as scary as it is, you, you don't even get. I didn't get the sense that they made contact, but they show at the end of the video that uh, the wingtip of the of the aircraft is all banged up. It must have scraped through the
3: brush or hit a tree or something. Man, it was mm-hmm. really close. Uh, oh, the wingtip. Um and this is uh the late model Beach Bonanza wingtip with uh, strobe and, and nav light built into the front uh the front corner of it. Um and the, uh, the it's basically a plexiglass uh, uh lens that covers all this. That plexiglass is shattered in the um, at the end of the video. There's also a sizable dent in the leading edge of the of that wing. This is the right wing. Yeah, Um, a couple of three feet in from the wingtip, as I recall. I'm not looking at the video right now. Um, That to me is the more scary part. Uh, Smashing a wingtip lands. You know, we can do that in a hangar, Uh, but but uh, hitting something hard enough. Um, to put a substantial dent in the uh, in the leading edge of the skin not only um, you know did they hit something but um, they did it in such a fashion that it was well within the wingspan of the airplane and uh, they were low enough that it wasn't something that they just kind of scraped with the underside of the wing they hit whatever it was square on yeah yeah it's there it
1: it yawed the airplane they were that how do you how can you know that David
2: uh, well, for one Say thing, the uh, the view from the videotape, when you
1: watch that last super slow-mo uh, replay of it, and it had to. De- uh, Jeb, if you didn't hear, David said it yawed the airplane, and I was asking him how he knew that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it was felt in the airplane. Yeah, I'm sure it was felt. I, you know, I mean, boy, you talk about insanely lucky that they just can get knocked out of the air. I'm just unbelievable. You know, and and you watch the videos; just a lot of whistling past the graveyard kind of going on. You know, it's like mm. uh, uh, almost laughing. I mean, I, it's kind of a normal reaction, I think, to to giggle a little bit when you're looking at this stuff. And, and I'm sure they went home and kind of collapsed. And and, and oh my god! Well, the
2: class well, think, ad that popped into my mind would uh aircraft detailers wanted uh wastewater treatment plant experience preferred. <laughs>
3: yeah. Jeb, what were you going to say? <laughs> that, that's a good good way to put it. Um it, it, the the, uh, the guys in the Bonanza, to my knowledge were not aviation types. They were just along for a ride. They were they were going to go, you know, do close formation with an L39. Um and I'm sure that um, they, they complied with the, whatever federal regulation it is that says that only required crew are supposed to go along on, on formation flights and that the formation flights are well-coordinated before they take off. I'm sure all that was accomplished also. Yeah, right. But uh, um, the, only, the only guy in the Bonanza who really had an aviation background was the pilot. Everybody else was, was a, a civilian, as it were, yeah. uh, a non-rated. So they, I think initially anyway, they had really no clue. What what had gone on and and uh, uh, how close that they came to to a really significant bad day? Yeah, yeah.
2: And I mean, and the cockpit did, voice recorder would have said, "Hey guys, watch this." <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
3: Okay. Uh-huh. Well, well. I mean, in, in, in in my note to the two of you, all, I'll share with the, with the rest of our listeners on this was you know speaking you know kind of directly to the pilot, you know, dude. Don't you know enough to confiscate the video camera after something like this? Come on, yeah, really?
1: That's that's the doubly, trip. triply, you know,
2: quadruply amazing I'm sure, part here. Yeah. I'm not sure why you. I'm not sure why you're asking the question after what you
3: saw on the videotape. <laughs> well, there is there is this part too. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, anyways, well, I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing else to be said. Craziness. The you know, good. I'm glad it was them and not me. Um I'd like to think that I'm smart enough that I wouldn't get myself into that kind of a jam, but you never know.
2: Well hopefully the Darwin aspect of this will be that the underwear will be a long reminder of why he won't do that again.
1: Yeah, well and the fact that the video's on the net may mean that he'll lose his certificate, but it
2: means that he'll never be allowed to forget it completely. Yeah,
1: right. Well that that too. That too. Yeah. So
3: I'm sure the FAA is gonna want to have a chat or two with him. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're gigging with. Um, clearly, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, um, you know, careless and reckless. i will throw that at anybody uh, for anything. Uh, clearly, there's, uh, you know, um, flying too low or whatever they want to call it. I don't even know if that's a really a, a a rag, but uh, um, there's the issue of flying IFR without a clearance. That may or may not be the case, depending on the type of airspace he was in. Right. Um, Maybe without a rating. Maybe without a rating, although a B thirty six TC Bonanza, which is kind of the highest end Bonanza out there, you would you would not run a whole spend a whole lot of time with one of those unless you had an instrument rating. Agree. That's yeah. Well. Okay. You know. All right. Shoutouts.
1: Got anything you want to talk about before we? Uh,
3: yeah, just a, a real quick one. We've we've talked about uh, and I, several weeks ago I mentioned uh, uh, my airplane mechanic Lee Stieglitzer. Uh, Lee, uh, the uh, the man in black, the satanic mechanic, has um, uh, successfully sold his house yes. in uh, in Virginia. I think yeah, uh, uh, and, and it closed last week. Uh, the money's in the bank, and uh, the boy is is getting his stuff packed up and and uh, headed south. Uh, don't know exactly you know when he'll uh, he'll be finally down here, but I would certainly guess by the end of the year he's got a lot of stuff to move. Uh, but i'm just i 'm just pleased as punch for him and uh uh looking forward to uh uh to seeing him get settled down down having the two of you guys back in the same state again i'm not
1: sure how wise that is the, but uh, the, well,
3: the authorities
1: are being notified oh as, good okay there you go
3: yeah they've got a full full enough plate they'll eventually get around to us but they've got they got stuff on their plate that'll be great that'll be great
1: uh anything else david uh david shout outs uh just a real quick and dirty to uh uh uh
2: Chesley Sullenberger and Jeff Skiles. I had the <laughs> pleasure of meeting Jeff Skiles a number of times uh early on at NBAA. Uh and he just introduced himself as Jeff.
1: uh uh-huh. That
2: yeah. was the beginning and the end of it. And uh-huh. uh, we had a pleasant visit and he showed me uh some pictures of his uh his uh cabin waka. Uh made me jealous. And uh and Captain Sullenberger, I had a, uh, a couple opportunities to see and hear through the uh, electronic media, and I've concluded that there are very few genuine class acts that float along as heroes in any business at any level. And these two guys actually, you know, earned the uh, uh, the laurels and fit the definition. And uh, so they don't know us uh... but chip them out wing to them. uh everything they 've shown has just been above and beyond what you usually see and expect out of people who become celebrities
3: mm-hmm.
1: right that right. sounds great that sounds great um anything else?
3: No, not, not for this one. Um, I'll say that. Not it.
1: for this one. Okay. <laughs> Hope you're feeling better next time, Jeb. My goodness, I,
3: I, I do too. I just, um, just I don't know what's going on here. I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> okay. Sorry, not I don't mean to laugh. It's
1: abuse much longer.
3: That's right. that's right. That's right.
1: Hey, that's David Higdon. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Oh, avbuyer.com, Dave AEA.net,
1: or uh some safety magazine that'll get repeated. That's right. <laughs> and uh, having seen better days is Jeb Burnside, who is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the net,
3: Jeb? Why would why would anyone want to do that? Well, it's hard to say, but let's give them a chance. Uh, we'll
1: let uh, them uh, decide.
3: Uh, um, day job, aviation safety magazine.com. Personal site is jeburnside.com. I occasionally pop up on Web, I occasionally pop up, pop up on uh, com. There you
1: go. And he occasionally pops off. <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, a big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. That's scoffery in the forum. Say hi to him if you have a chance. Also, thanks to Royce Earl, Mike Morgan, and to the many other listeners who have created our show opening disclaimer clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com.
2: David, you had something you wanted to say? Live longer. Go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, even at Mach (laughs) 0.56. That's
1: enough. I hate you, David. I hate you. That's enough talking. Let's go flying.
3: Bugs on the trailing edges. TTFM.